You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I invite you to turn in your scriptures to the book of Joshua is where we've been. If you're visiting and don't have a Bible with you, find one in a seat in front of you, a black or red one. We're in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. We'll be looking at 12 through 26, but I'll, I'll start reading in 10. So Joshua 7, I'll start at verse 10. Last week, if you missed it, I had a table up here in the water that we put one drop of food coloring. We were looking at sin affecting the whole camp of Israel, and all the, the water turned uh, blue. It's not up here. Uh, I tried something this week. I'm no scientist. So they said bleach should turn the thing white or clear. It didn't happen for me. So we're leaving that illustration out. So, But uh, anyway, I tried that. I didn't want a bleach bottle up here either. That's not good. So it's just not here, but that's where we were. Madeline uh, drew a picture. I got one picture last week from, from Madeline, and she drew this. God fixes everything. Sin destroys everything is what Madeline came with from last week and so appreciate that Madeline not just because you're my daughter but that's great so and you kids as you're drawing today turn those in if I'm talking to someone just again just slip it into my hand with your name on it and uh, you can if you can tell them in a conversation just give it to me and I'll take it and uh, appreciate you doing that so so that's where we were we were looking at uh, Joshua 6 the battle of Jericho they had won Israel had won that battle However, one amongst them, a fellow named Achan, had taken the, some of the devoted things. I think you even read in whatever Timothy we were in about the devoted things uh, this morning. And Israel ended up losing the next battle at Ai, and they came running back from that, retreating back from that battle. Joshua and others fall before the Lord and And then the Lord gives this answer, starting in verse 10, and then I'll just read to the end of the chapter. So let's listen to God's word this morning as we begin there. So Joshua 7, starting at verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel, You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zarahites was taken. 
And he brought near the clan of the Zarahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Let me pray for us again. Lord, as we get into your scripture... There's just much here. I just pray that you'd give us ears to hear from you today. Enlighten our eyes to see your holiness and your glory. Enlighten our eyes to see our own hearts, areas within rooms, rooms we haven't touched in a long time. Lord, that have not been, as we've sang, surrendered to you or confessed. That we've not given praise to you in our lives. And so, Lord, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to work in this time that we have, you'd encourage and convict us to, to your greatness again and to your Son, Jesus Christ. So bless this time in your word. We pray in your name. Amen. I remember a book called Holiness by Jerry Bridges. I, I looked it up. It's actually called The Pursuit of Holiness. I don't know if you ever read this book. And I remember a time looking at this book written by Bridges, Pursuit of Holiness, and I read it sort of half-heartedly. Um, it's not necessarily a fun book to read, at least not at that point, and I, I don't think I ever finished it, which is not uncommon for my books to sometimes read some and not finish the book. But I remember this book in particular, and I think I remember why I remember this particular book called The Pursuit of Holiness. In my former career, uh, before getting into into ministry full time, I flew airplanes around the country and passengers back and forth. And in order to, that was a great great profession, great uh, career to have. Saw a lot of places, a lot of fun things. But but with that came some potentially compromising situations. Maybe you can imagine some of that. Um, some of it there was 
potentially situations to fudge some numbers here and there or change a number here and there. And so I think at that time in my career and this pressure on me and all these things and with flying and I want to do this and I want to do a good job and all this, and here's this book on the pursuit of holiness. And I know why I don't think I enjoyed reading it because I was under some conviction of the Lord to do the right thing. Holiness is costly. Holiness to the Lord does not mean the easy way. And it involves sacrifice, whether you're at a workplace, whether you're on the road, whether, wherever it is. Sacrifice is in, involved. Ultimately, our holiness depends on one sacrifice, that of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But then we who are in Christ, we're to live lives of holiness. Because that's who our Father is. He's holy. And in order to be Christ-like, we must be holy. In fact, who indwells us? It's the Holy Spirit. And so holiness is really at the top of God's transforming work in our lives. Today, as we've headed back to this camp of Israel, it's a camp facing the defeat at Ai. The leaders have bowed their heads and their bodies. They've sought an explanation And then it's a camp where God has answered. He's basically said, let me tell you why you were defeated, why you lost. Here's why. It's because there's sin in the camp. The camp is not holy. There's sin in this place. And in fact, as a result of the sin, God has threatened His very presence with you. This this great Joshua 1.9, I will be with you, is threatened because of the sin in the camp. If they're not going to deal with it, their holiness has been marred. So we want to look at this in light of that. And so we look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. I'll just read this to you as we kind of look through this passage and glean what we can about holiness and being devoted to the Lord and and some of the the issues within the camp and, and how Israel goes about this. So verse 13 says, the Lord says to Joshua, Get up, consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Tomorrow is coming. It's a day to deal with sin in the camp. And so before dealing with anyone else's sin, I think Israel is to consecrate themselves. It's a word we've seen back in chapter 3, verse five where the next day god was going to do wonders in their midst this idea of consecrate yourselves for tomorrow something's going on one definition of this call to consecrate the word consecrate here is the idea of belonging to the deity so to the lord belonging you might say to the lord this consecration belonging it's really the idea of being holy being set apart but to whom? To anything? It's to, to God, to your God. So to Israel, it's make sure, prepare, make sure you're given over to your God for He's going to act tomorrow. In, in some ways, I, I wonder if here is the New Testament teaching of Jesus where He tells His disciples to take the log out of your own eye and then you're going to see clearly the speck right in your, brother, in your brother's eyes. 
So devoted things here for Israel, things meant for God as the plunder of war. That's what these devoted things, they were meant to be given to God however someone took them that we're, we're reading about. They're in the midst of Israel, so the people must be consecrated, wholly given over to God to be able to root out the sin. And we, should, we too, as we read this, as we think on this, we should take the warning here. It, it's quite easy, isn't it? It's super easy to find the faults of other people around us and yet be blind to our own sin. While the Bible it does not support us judging the world, it's already in sin, it will face that we are accountable as the body of Christ. Those who have put your faith and trust in Christ, we are accountable to one another if that's our claim. I'm a follower of Christ, then we're accountable to the body of Christ for how we live and what we do. The caution for us is to examine our own heart first and then seek to take that speck out of our brother's eye or sister's eye, not to leave it alone, but Lord, is there sin in me? Before I go confront this, what is there in me? And I think that will temper our confrontation. Well, God then gives instructions to Joshua here something we've seen in almost every section, God's instructions, and then Joshua follows through with them. So look at verse 14 through 15. As we look there, I want you to listen for repetition. Listen for what's repeated, 14 and 15, that say, In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by household. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he's transgressed the covenant of the Lord, he's done an outrageous thing in Israel. You hear what's repeated here? The lot is cast. Kind of maybe something like our throwing of dice, that idea, to see which tribe, which clan, which house is is the problem here which is guilty of sin and repeated over and over it's the tribe that the lord takes by lot the clan that the lord takes the household the lord takes god uses lots to accomplish his will he uses lots of things to accomplish his will in fact everything accomplishes his will but he does use lots proverbs 16:33 says the lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord. And it holds true certainly here, one by one, clan by clan, house by house, the lot is thrown, whittled down to one transgressor. You know, God could have dealt with Achan, who we know this is Achan. He could have dealt with them right when he sinned. Just Achan takes the devoted things, Achan's life is snuffed out and it's, and it's over. But that didn't happen. And I believe God used the, the lot, the casting of the lot, to narrow down the search. And, and I think this is part of a demonstration to all of Israel. Well, this is a teaching. I mean, he's dealing with sin, but there's teaching to the whole lot to narrow down that God deals seriously. He deals punitively with sin, even of one man. And so sin, whether it's Israel's or our own, it cannot be hidden. No matter how far Achan would dig the silver underneath everything else, it's not hidden. They're going to find it because God's going to find it. 
in our day, God has spoken even concerning His church and how the church is to discipline one another. That God's plan involves God's people who would confront one another in sin. And if those ways fail, then that matter is to be taken to the church. And I think via the leadership, the elders of the church. It's called church discipline, where the church is to deal with sin in her midst. Now, in the New Covenant, we are no longer to burn the sinner. That's Old Testament, New Covenant, we're in Christ. But there is still to be holiness in the, the camp, if you will. And just as Joshua was instructed, I think so too, the New Testament instructs the church, don't tolerate sin. Don't tolerate it within the body of those who call themselves believers. You say, I'm a believer of Christ. Sin is to not be part of your life. It's, uh, uh, the word says, purge the evil person from among you. But there's also a spirit, a spirit of that purging. It's not just purge and burn. It's purge, oh, brother, sister, that you be restored to Christ. There's restoration. Galatians 6 talks about that, doing with, with gentleness to restore that brother or sister who is in sin and to confront speaking the truth in love and to bring them out of that. Well, verses 16 through 18, I won't read them, but they have a familiar pattern then as we move on. Very familiar. The next day, guess what? Joshua does as God commanded. God gives the direction. Joshua follows through. So it's kind of just a repeat. What God says to do, they do the next day, one by one, lot, uh, clan by clan, family, tribe by tribe, until eventually Achan is singled out. And Now we're zeroed in, verse 19, to Achan, and Joshua confronts him there. Look at verse 19. Joshua said to Achan, My son. It's really an interesting phrase, even just my son. Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to Him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Have you ever considered that one way to give glory to God, one way to praise God is to confess your sins? I don't think we typically think of confession as a part of worship. We think of I mean, we think of singing, and, and we know worship is so much more than that. It's our heart and devotion to the Lord and praise of the, of the Lord. But how does confession deal with that? How is this giving glory to God? Well, the word Joshua uses here, he says, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. And then that, that second phrase, and give praise to him. Some of you, if you've got a King James, it might say, make confession to him. It's kind of hard to translate. Does it mean make praise? You know, give praise to God and tell me what happened, or make confession and tell me what happened. Is it not true? I mean, we could I think you could see both here. They're tied together. When we confess sin, we are at the same time acknowledging who God is, aren't we? When we confess and we say, "Oh Lord, I have wronged my children, this person at work. I have slandered. I have whatever. We recognize God's holiness and who He is and His commands. We acknowledge His worth. 
think it's a fear of the Lord, as we were talking about the fear of the Lord, that would honor Him as God. And then we confess our rejection of His ways. And so in verses 20 and 21, then Achan, we finally get the details, just what happened. And here's, I mean, we saw in verse 1, it's Achan, what all happened? Now he's going to, now finally the people, excuse me, of Israel are going to be, are finding out what happened. So look at verses, excuse me, 20 through 21. And Achan answered Joshua. Achan answered Joshua. Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Now we learn just what this is that has brought this pain on Israel and the sin in which the Lord burned with anger. It's a coat, 200 shekels of silver, a bar gold weighing 50 shekels. I tried to do some math for what this might be worth today. The coat, I I don't know, worth a lot. Uh, the, The silver, though, let's see, the silver I can tell you, doing the math, comes out to about 11 grams. So you've got 2,200 grams of silver, which in today's dollar equals 1,054, all right? And then you've got 550 grams of gold, which comes out to 22,607. I think we would have said, Aiken, you should bury the gold, not the silver, but that's, okay, that's in our day. What about back then? What was the situation back then? Here's one commentary, and I think it's helpful to give us an idea. It says, there are five or six pounds of silver and about a pound and a half of gold in Aiken's treasure trove. That represents what it would take the average worker a lifetime to earn. So it's more than just a thousand bucks. You know, maybe it's hard to, for us to imagine. But here, he's got enough for his life. This is my retirement has come. I'm set. And so is my immediate family. Unless you remember who he stole from. Look at the wording in verse 21. Achan says, he coveted these things. I coveted them. I wanted the gold, the silver. I coveted them. the, The word there can mean desire. He desired them. That help us understand what was going on Think of what Achan had. Better than any retirement plan, he had the Lord God Almighty as his God. Far superior to anything of money, but he desired the silver, the gold. It's the deceitfulness of sin that the things of this earth will give us lasting joy. And I'm not saying we can't take joy in things or enjoy all of God's creation, but it's not to replace the Lord. It's not to be above Him. We're not to desire things or people, or in my case, as I talked about the numbers and if I do this and don't do that, we're not to desire those things above what God has said and above honoring Him and desiring Him. And May God help us. We are easily swayed to worship what will not last or what will only satisfy temporarily. 
think Achan fell into that. He desired those things, the things he could see right there, those immediate things, immediate pleasure, desire. I'm set for life. Wow, now I can rest. And he desired them and would lose all. So verses 22 then through 25 tell us what Joshua and all of Israel did upon his confession, this confession of Achan. They find the devoted things in his tent. They take Achan, his sons and daughters. I mean, it's, it's detailed. His oxen, right? his donkeys, sheep, possessions. They take him to the Valley of Achor. If your Bible helps you, it's the Valley of Trouble. And verse 25 records what happened there. Look at verse 25. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. The troubler himself, and I think that's Achan, means troubler. So it's kind of the troubler himself. He's brought to the Valley of Trouble and perhaps it was named the Valley of Achor after this event takes place. I'm not sure. But all there, it's not a happy ending, at least at this point, that all is All of what he has is burned. All is stone. Sin brings destruction. And it brought it ultimately to all of Achan and his possessions and his family. One commentary says this about this situation. Because you think, all, everybody? They say, thus in the case before us, the things themselves had been abstracted from the booty by Achan alone. But, so Achan went and took the things. He took this by himself alone. But he had hidden them in his tent, buried them in the earth, which could hardly have been done so secretly that his sons and daughters knew nothing of it. By so doing, he had made his family participators in his theft. They therefore fell under the ban along with him, together with their tent, their cattle, and the rest of their property, which were all involved in the consequences of his crime. Again, we're back to sin affecting communities. People were around. It not only affected Achan, it affected his entire family and his household, and as we saw last week, all of Israel. Verse 26 then gives kind of this conclusion statement. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Here, not too far removed from chapters 3 and 4, remember they crossed the Jordan and they picked up the 12 stones and they made a heap of, you know, pile of stones. Here, another heap is built. I think a remembrance of sorts of Achan. The Valley of Achor. Oh yeah, look at that pile of stones. Do you remember what happened there? Do you remember this lesson? There's physical reminders of what happened. And it's even there to this day. And that's the the day of the one writing this. So to this day. So, you know, basically the one he's writing to, to Israel, you can go see this. It's still there, is the idea. And so here in verse 26 is the resolve of this passage. If you look back at verse 1, 
Verse 1, it ends, the sentence ends, the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. That's how verse 1 ends. Kind of this, the anger is burning. You get to the end, verse 26, the end, uh, well, in the middle there. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. The anger of the Lord was turned. Stay with me here, but I think even here is a hint of Christ. Even within this. Achan was guilty, right? We, we know, we hear the story. He was guilty, he was rightly punished, and as a result, all Israel was again restored to fellowship with God. Okay, so Achan dies, they stone him, God turns his anger. Now, Jesus is not guilty, Jesus is innocent, but God placed on Jesus the punishment for our sins. The one man bearing our sins on the cross. And by this great love, think of what Jesus, as he died and these sins were put on him, the great love that God's anger and wrath are turned, turned away from us. It's this place where our holiness begins. At the cross. We can never earn a righteousness or a holiness before God. We can't earn this. We too, we must confess our sin and then give glory to God, recognizing our need for forgiveness and recognizing our need is met, not in our own striving and our own doing. It's met fully in Jesus Christ who died on the cross. But then, out of this gift, created in Christ Jesus, out of this, flowing out of this, is the call for believers to lives of holiness. Here I want to read briefly from J.C. Ryle, make a couple points. He's got a book on holiness. Uh, you can probably get a free ebook. It's you know It's old enough to where it's, it's free. Um, it's helpful as he... J.C. Ryle affirms the unmerited work of Christ to save sinners. It's, it's unearned. The, the work of Christ saves sinners. But then he asks this question, why then is holiness so important? He asks, why does the apostle say, without it, that is holiness, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord? And so he gives eight reasons why holiness is important. And I'm going to read all eight, and we're not going to be here all day. They're very short. But I'm going to read these eight reasons in case you're thinking holiness, like me, reading a book, or today you're confronted and you have these issues in your life and there's this little hidden sin somewhere in there, or maybe it's a big sin. And the word holiness, the term holiness just doesn't sound very inviting. What's the deal? Why holiness? Here's why J.C. Ryle says it's important for the believer, for those in Christ. I mean, all are called to be holy. He's our God overall. But here it is for those in Christ. So number one, why is holiness important? Because the voice of God in Scripture plainly commands it. Okay, so that's number one. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. It's commanded. Number two, said so these are kind of short, okay? Number two, holiness is important. Because this is the one grand end and purpose for which Christ came into the world. We looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 15, a little bit on Easter Sunday. 
It says, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You're living for someone different. You're not living for your own self any longer. Number three, because this is the only sound evidence that we have a saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Holiness is evidence of the faith. It doesn't make us right. It's evidence of that faith. Ryle says this, True faith will always show itself by its fruits. It will sanctify. It will work by love. It will overcome the world. It will purify the heart. Number four, why is holiness important? Because this is the only proof that we love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Jesus said, John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John fourteen twenty three. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Number five, holiness is important because this is the only sound evidence that we are true children of God. Holiness and being set apart, it shows the family we belong to. Ryle says this, this, If men have no likeness to the Father in heaven, it is vain to talk of their being His sons. Read that again. If men, if you don't look like your Father in heaven who is holy, then He says it's vain to talk of being His son. Number six, why is holiness important? Because this is the most likely way to do good to others. And Ryle speaks of our lives and conduct. He speaks of them as a silent sermon which all can read. He says, your life is an argument for the gospel that none can escape. You argue by your life. I would encourage us, use words, use gospel words to proclaim, but our lives are a silent sermon about who our God is. Number seven, holiness is important because our present comfort depends much upon it. Our present comfort depends much upon it. Ryle says this, we are sadly apt to forget that there is a close connection between sin and sorrow, holiness and happiness, sanctification and consolation. And here's what he's getting at. I have them highlighted here, but he says, our justification is not by works. Our calling and election are not according to our works. But it is vain for anyone to suppose that he will have a lively sense of his justification or an assurance of his calling so long as he neglects good works or does not strive to live a holy life. You hear what he's saying? He's not saying holiness is your way into the kingdom. He's saying, you want to be more comforted in your justification? Are you doubting in faith? Whatever, Be holy. It's part of that assurance. It's vain to suppose you'll have that unless you strive for holiness. And number eight, number eight looks beyond and says, why is holiness important? Because without holiness on earth, we shall never be prepared to enjoy heaven. Ryle says this, heaven is a holy place. And then he asks, how shall we ever be at home and happy in heaven if we die unholy? I eventually at work had a small victory. Talked about some of these um, 
situations, compromising situations, fudge the numbers. I turned in paper. I finally had a victory. Like I prayed about it. It weighed on me. Turned it in and even turned it in knowing that it would potentially harm my own self by being honest to my own harm. And I think in reality, it wasn't too much longer that I worked there and was gone. (laughs) Uh, Maybe that was God's way of providing. But holiness is costly. None of this, what we're talking about, holiness, is just simply easy to do. It's hard. But then sin also is costly. May your lives, if you've been given new life in Christ by His loving grace, may your life be fully devoted to the Lord in holiness.